All right, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to the little epistle of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, and then uh, actually I'll read a few verses from chapter 4, and then our text is 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Uh, but the Apostle John is in what we call a crescendo. Does anybody know what a crescendo is in music? That's when it starts off and it builds and gets louder and louder and more intense. And that's what's happening as we near the end of 1 John uh, together. Listen to these few verses, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. See if you can hear the crescendo building. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation for our sins. And then verse 19. We love because He first loved us. And now, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves His child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So far the reading of God's Word. There's a professor at Wheaton College who did an experiment with his students. A gentleman named Gary Burge, and he teaches New Testament at Wheaton College, which is one of the premier Christian colleges in all of America. And some of the finest evangelical young men and women from around the country strive to gain acceptance there, and they're from the most wonderful churches, and they come from great Christian families there at, at Wheaton College. And he said, I did an experiment, and I wanted to test these students and find out what motivated them in life, what motivated them to walk in the ways of the Lord. Because he says, as I study, especially the book of First John, he says, I know that it is the love of God first in our hearts that compels us to love other people, to live the Christian life. And so he asked them each to write a one-page essay about the motivations of their life for the Christian life. And, and here's what he said, I wanted them to, to know, he, I wanted them to tell me whether their lives are shaped by the threat of the law and of judgment, or whether their lives are motivated by the love and the grace of the Heavenly Father. He said the results were devastating. Over 90% of these people wrote 
that it was God's disfavor, God's wrath that shaped their outlook as they tried to live the Christian life. And many of them wrote, Christianity is about following the rules. Here's what Burge says. He says, when I told them it was not, you could hear a pin drop. Some of the students privately commented to me that it was the first time they had heard such good news. And he goes on again to say these were mature young men and women from strong evangelical churches and families, but their reflex was to please God so that He would bless them instead of pleasing God because of His favor already on them. Do you see the dif difference? They had not learned to please God because He had already favored them. And so my question for you today is, why do you obey God? Do you do it so that He will favor you? Or do you do it because He has already poured out His love in your heart? Do you love and serve other people so that God will be pleased to bless you? Or do you love and serve other people because God has first loved you? And, that, and, that, and therefore, as we saw last week, we know and rely on the love the Father has for us. I want to drive this home. Can you tell I'm a little exercised about this this morning? One room, woman wrote this. One of his students, I feel like God punishes me for my sins all the time. I feel that there is always something I'm being punished for. Now, I know that's impossible because there are not enough minutes in the day for God to punish me for all the ways I fall short. I probably should not call it punishment, but that's the way I feel about God's justice. I know of God's love. I know... He gives blessings in my life, and for that I am grateful. But I live with this fear that one mess up, and I'm going to be punished again. What's happening in our churches? Who is robbing the gospel of the good news? that God so loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That God has said, I love you because I love you because I love you with an everlasting covenant of love that will not be broken. In our passage today, John talks about loving God and keeping His commands and loving other people, and that's what we do. But he makes it abundantly clear that this is the evidence that we are already people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That we already know and experience what it is to have a Messiah, to have a Savior, to have a King and a Lord who loves us and who died for us. And that's why we are overcomers, he says. We are overcomers in this world. Point number one, point number one. My friends, you who believe and are born of God love God's children. Let me tell you, there's a number of sub-themes going on in the Gospel of John because people are asking, well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? Throughout this book, 
people are getting the answer to the question, how do I know if I'm really a Christian? And so John has as sub-themes these tests that you can take, the doctrinal test. Do you believe what is in line with the truth? And then there's the social test. How do you get along with other people? That'll give you some indication of whether or not you're a Christian. And then finally, there's the moral test. Are you walking in worldliness or are you walking in God's way, keeping His commands? And so these sub-themes we've seen, they're all through dancing, all through this book. And uh, right now, at the very beginning of this, he says, uh, he's talking about the doctrinal test when he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And I don't know, but I have to think that as John is writing this, he's remembering that day when the disciples are sitting there with Jesus. And remember, Peter and Jesus are having this dialogue. And John must be sitting over in the corner, and he's listening, straining to hear. And Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Remember that? Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And then remember, Jesus turns to, to Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter gulps. And everybody leans forward to hear what Peter says. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends Peter. Jesus blesses Peter. And he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out because you're so clever. God has given you insight into who I am. And now John is saying what was true for Peter is true for you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I tell you something. You will meet other people in your community, kids in your school, in your children's school, people at work. And they will come up to you and they'll put their arm around you and they will say, you know, I'm really impressed that you're such a religious person. I, I think that's really cool. You go to church. I, I'm impressed that you go to church. I like the way you handle yourself. I, I'm, I, I'm impressed that you're a religious person. But don't give me that Jesus stuff. Have you ever heard something like that? Yeah, you can hit a home run, and as you cross home plate, point your finger up in the air. You can talk about God in general, but don't give me that Jesus stuff. So here is this doctrinal test. What is first, before any of this keeping the commands of God? It's faith. It's faith. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's the evidence from this doctrinal test. Then in the second half of the verse, he says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Here's that social test. How do you get along with other people? How do you get along with the children of God? Do you love them or do you hate them? And a number of times John says there's no room for hate in the body of Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God, 
for the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we saw last week that the love of God is like this triangle, this beautiful, powerful, pulsing triangle, like electricity. God's love comes down to us, and then it moves through us to someone else. It takes two to love, agape love. You can't just stand there. Remember Elmo last week just saying, I love. You can't just love in general. There, is, there must be the recipient of that love and it moves through you to someone else. And then somehow we're told that the love of God is perfected. Now, can God get any better? No, God can't get any better. But somehow it's teleos. It is made mature or complete as you actually love someone else. It's this powerful, powerful picture. So what what does this look like? In, in, in the church of Jesus Christ. If one part suffers, Paul writes, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. There is this picture of empathy and sympathy that people have for each other. They actually care about each other. And so here's something that you need to remember in this church. We need to care about each other. If you're our guest today, We're not excluding you. In fact, we welcome you into our family of love. But one thing I know, we have got to love each other in this church. And we step into each other's worlds. Who's our example for this? Jesus. Jesus. And we've been studying the love of Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus lets people invade his own personal space. You sense that? Jesus actually welcomes interruptions. Is there anybody else here who doesn't like to be interrupted? Any type A people like me? You know, you're moving along, you've got places to go and people to see and things to do, and you don't like interruptions, but, but guess what? Jesus is not like that. Jesus welcomes people into his own personal space. Jesus gives up his time And then you know what we saw that Jesus does? Jesus listens to people. Jesus looks at people. How many times in the Gospels do we read, and he saw her and he was filled with compassion? Or when he heard him, he responds. See, this is love. Incarnate, we call it, there's a term for it, incarnational love. He didn't just stay up in heaven. He stepped out of heaven, stepped into this world because he loved us, into the misery of this fallen world, and it didn't stop there, not just his presence, but then he steps into the lives of people, and he welcomes the interruptions, and he's in their mess, and he cares for them, and he ministers to them, and that's the way we need to be with each other in our small groups, in our church family, in our struggles together, bearing each other's burdens. That's it. And if you're born of God, that's what you do. I always loved this story in the book of Acts of Paul and Silas and their interaction with the Philippian jailer. First time they meet, what does the jailer do to them? He beats them. He beats them. (laughs) But then they they preach the gospel and they sing hymns of faith and, and he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. And, and pretty soon, what is that jailer doing? He's washing their wounds, and he cooks them a big meal, and he has them over to his house. That's that's us. All who are born of God will love the child of God. 
And you do it by carrying out point number two. You do it by carrying out God's commands toward each other. Listen to verses two and three. This is how we know that we love the children of God. Okay, how do you know? By loving God and carrying out His commands. It's not just carrying out His commands. You actually have a heart affection responding back to your heavenly Father because of what He's done for you and how much He loves you. But because of that, you love Him back, and then it has, it has this horizontal effect. It flows out from you, and you obey His commands because that's how you love people. This is that moral test, the moral test. You keep the commands of God. And again, the Apostle John is remembering sitting in the room with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in the Gospels, He says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's John 14, verse 15. Wow. Jesus, we love you. He says, Well, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And then verse 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, but, but wait a minute. Doesn't it say in the Bible that the law, the letter kills, only the Spirit gives life? Doesn't it say that the law in and of itself has no power, the commandments have no power to change my heart? Absolutely right. You are absolutely right. The commandments of God have no power to change your life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the new birth that He puts inside of you does change your life. And you obey, not as a slave, but as a child, as someone who's beloved. My wife, Nina, she uh, used to make a good living typing papers for seminary students. And you young people, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. Does anybody here know what this is? Anybody know what this is? This is what they used to call a typewriter. You have to take the paper and actually put it right in inside, and, and she would type papers, and there's no block and copy and delete on these. You've got to get it right first time, and Nina was good. She typed papers for seminary students, and she made good money doing that. Then she met me. She fell in love, and she typed 263 pages of my doctoral dissertation on a typewriter for free. <laughs> What's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is love. Wow. And boy, am I grateful. I never could have done that. But you see the difference between just doing your duty to hope to get paid for it and doing it because you love, because you love. And that's what he's describing here. Love to the Father means you're going to obey the commands of the Lord. And this is true. I mean, if you're going to love the person sitting next to you and you see their wallet sort of peeking out of their back pocket there, you could reach over could steal their wallet. You could pocket their wallet. They'd never feel it. Would that be loving? It's not loving. The Bible says the command of the Lord is you shall not steal. What's loving? 
Bible says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work with his hands that he may be able to take care of himself and be generous to give away to someone else. What's loving? The command of God. Do not steal, but instead work with your own hands so that you have something that you can not only use to take care of yourself, but to give away. And it's a blessing to be able to give away. If you're married, how do you love your spouse? Adultery? Adultery might be fun. Is that the way to love? No. What's the command of God? The command of God says you shall not commit adultery. And then it goes on and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. With a, and and, and he, he explains this sacrificial caring for the other person, this constructive building of the other person up, this constant like you feed your own body because men love to feed their care for their own bodies. Well, be constant in your love for your wife like that. See, that's keeping the command of God. That's loving. And the list goes on and on and on. That's how you're going to love. It's very practical. And so your soul is formed where you are then disposed to do the divine will with what the French, uh, one French writer called unhesitating consent. I wish I could read French with a fancy accent. But there's this one theologian, he says this. He says that, that when you experience the love of God, you have the formation of the soul to be so disposed to the divine will that it offers unhesitating consent. Who's the picture of that in the New Testament? Mary, Jesus' mother. When God came to Mary, don't you love when he makes that annunciation to her? He tells her that she will bear the Christ, and she says, let it be to me according to your word. This unhesitating consent. What a picture she is for us. Someone who's full of faith toward her Savior, Jesus is her Savior, and she loves him. And so you, keep, you love by keeping his commands, generosity, fidelity, service, all the things that God commands. And that's, the Bible's filled with how to love, so practical. And then John gets excited, and he starts to exalt in what this means for us. And he says, you who are born of God are going to overcome the world by faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen to the same word three times in the same, uh, in, in two sentences. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's, an, it's another way of just saying what he just said. We know and rely on the love the Father has for us, and that makes us overcomers. How how do you do it? By faith. By faith. You don't whip yourself into shape. It's not going to happen by trying harder. I want to tell you something. The, The problem that those young men and women at Wheaton College had was they had this idea that if I just try a little harder, I'll get a little holier, and it wasn't working. John tells us, sanctification is by faith. Do you have faith? Do you have faith in Jesus today? Do you know and rely on the love the Father has for you? It's by faith in Christ. 
and it's not faith in faith. Let me step on a few toes here. Where's your toe? Step on a few toes here. When you die, when you die, will they, will they come to the funeral home and will they say, oh, he was a real man of faith. And when they say that, what do they mean? Well, that means, well, he had some kind of belief system that he enjoyed. He had a belief system that helped him. Is that what John is teaching? That's called faith in faith. We live in a culture that commends faith in faith, you know, and that's to be, but no, it's no good for John that you just have faith in faith. It's got to be faith in who? Jesus Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world? He who has faith in Christ. And once again, we are drawn back. There is that, that, that line in the sand. It's, it's faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ or just faith in faith? I'm trying to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. Doesn't cut it with John. I hope I didn't step on your toes too hard. This is really, really important. It is Christ-centered faith. Why? Because when you talk about overcomers, you talk about the first initial conquest of Christ. And I remember the first Bible verse I memorized. As a new Christian, I was 18 years old. John 16, 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have, what? Overcome the world. Do you know that verse? What a, what a passage. Do you need peace in your life? Do you need strength in your life? Jesus says, in me you shall find peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Wow, that's it. Overcomer, overcomer, where? In that initial conquering of Jesus Christ over the world, and then it continues on through us. And Paul invents a word in Romans 8.37 where he says we are, our translation says, more than conquerors. Really, the translation is we are super-duper conquerors through Christ who loved us. You're not faith. Your faith doesn't make you super-duper conqueror. Christ, faith in Christ, makes you more than conquerors. Someone said to me, I think someone says this to me almost every week. Someone said to me this week, Pastor, I don't know how people do it without the Lord. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I don't know how people do it without the Lord. How do they, how do they make it through marriage? without the Lord? How do they make it through uh, the struggles with finances without the Lord? How do they handle sickness and, and the loss of loved ones without the, How do they do it? And I think I understand. I don't know. There's, there's a, they, there, there are all kinds of coping mechanisms. Don't get me wrong. But how do you overcome in this world without the Lord? And I look around this room and I see people who today are overcomers. And you've been overcomers through sickness. I got a phone call from Ann Farrow this week. She's moved to Pennsylvania. I got a call from Ann. She says, tell the church I love them, that I miss them. Tell the church thank you for standing with me through my illness over that terrible year. You see, she's a more than a conqueror. 
Some of you, some of you have been through trials, or you're going through trials right now. And Jesus Christ is with you, and you are facing the future with peace. In me, Jesus says, you will find peace. Is this true for you? I hope this is true for you. What are you going through right now? Where are you going to be a conqueror, an overcomer? Hmm. Can I encourage you? John is very optimistic here. He says, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through this trial. I'm going to see you through to the other side. You're going to be an overcomer. Friends, in the book of Revelation, if you've never carefully read the book of Revelation, you're going to be amazed, especially in chapters 2 and 3. Because he writes to the churches, and he says, to those who overcome, to those who overcome, overcome what? Well, talk about stepping on toes. He, he, he gets, a, again, he gets exercised, and Jesus does as he talks to the church. And he says, those who overcome false doctrines, and foolish heresies of, of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Who are they? These are people who are denying that Jesus is the Christ. To those who overcome the false doctrines and the heresies, I will give the crown of life. For those who resist Jezebel. Who's Jezebel? Ah, oh, Jezebel. She's the temptress. She's the one who seduces your flesh, who pulls you into the world to love the world more than you love God. And he, but he says, to those who overcome Jezebel, I will give the tree of life. And again and again, he says to the church, he says to you and to me, you are overcomers through Christ our Lord, fighting the good fight of faith, standing firm without uh, ceasing, never stopping to uh, from, and you're praying, but you pray and you pray and you pray and you put off the old man and you put on the new. And the result, the result is this. You get the crown of life, a crown put on your head on that day. You know what you get? You become, it says, a pillar in the house of God. What in the world is that? To become a pillar in the house of God. I'll tell you what it means. It just means you will be forever present with the Lord. Because you don't move the pillar out of the temple. And that's all he's saying. Nobody will be able to yank you out of heaven. Nobody, you who overcome, nobody's going to take you away from God, out of the presence of God. You who overcome, you will inherit all things. So, let's wrap this up. This crescendo is now uh, for those who will overcome, you who will overcome, where is God calling you right now to overcome? Where is God calling you to love your brothers and sisters? What concrete way are you available to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to love my family? Where is He calling you to love and to overcome? I don't know where it is but you get it in your mind right now. Okay, Lord, let me, let me be honest with you. Here's my trial right now, the trial I'm facing right now. You got it in your mind? Can you see yourself as an overcomer through this trial? 
Maybe you need prayer today. You need somebody to pray for you. After we're done singing this closing hymn, I'm going to invite the elders to come to the front of the room. And I'm going to invite you not to leave, but to come forward and let one of the elders and their wives pray for you. And if, if, there's, if you have to wait in line a little bit, that's okay. You just come up. Let them put their hands on your shoulders. Let them pray for you. Maybe you're saying, I just need to be released to love. I just need release to love. You come forward. You let them pray for you because you are an overcomer in Jesus Christ if you have faith in Christ. Now, we're going to sing uh, my favorite hymn as we close. Now, I know, I know, some of you laugh whenever I say this, but we're going to sing my favorite hymn. And when I die at my funeral... I want you to sing this, okay? Tony, you got that in the planning? Come on up, musicians. We're going to sing this great hymn. Uh, and, and the reason we're going to sing it is because it was shaped right out of this passage. The third verse speaks like this. Oh, third verse. Go ahead, bring up the third verse there, Wes. Oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, Fight as the saints who nobly fought of old and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Alleluia. You see, the saints will be the victors. will overcome. Now go back to verse 2, Wes. Verse 2. Why? Because they had faith in faith. No, they are now singing to Jesus Christ. Thou wast their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight, thou in the darkness drear, their one true light. Hallelujah! Why? Take us back to verse 1, Wes. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee, by trying harder? No. Who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Hallelujah! So let's stand together, sing this out, and then if you have an area where you need to overcome, I invite you to come forward. I'd say elders and their wives, come stand in the front right now as we sing this together. So I'd ask Don and John and Debbie uh, and Bill and Sherry to come forward, Nina to come forward, and let's sing this out together.